This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Episode 16 of the Aftershock Central Podcast. I'm Jack Sutherland, and uh, Ronnie the Baron is here also today. Uh, Martin is MIA again. Again. Um, again. But that doesn't matter because today is no ordinary day, Ronnie. That's right. Do you know why? Because we have somebody better than Martin on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> A very special guest who's currently writing and doing art on two different Aftershock titles. Um, Mr. Phil Hester is with us. How you doing, Phil? Hey, guys. How are you? All doing right. great. We now, have, I uh, want to know something. I want to okay. know something, though, before you. How did you sure. get to 16 episodes without talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. That is a good question. We, had, uh, we had Joe on a couple months ago. and Oh, well, that explains it all. You're traumatized after that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, but, but you know, and he was awesome, but you're just our second guest so far, at least on this oh, particular wow. podcast, so we really appreciate you taking your time to chat with us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, and I think since Martin's MIA, he's usually the ringleader in this, like, circus, so... But I think Martin, Martin, or Ronnie, you're going to steer the ship this time. Yeah, I'll try to steer us and make right. sure we don't get shipwrecked. Yeah. Oh, cheesy <laughs> puns that ahead of time. Cheesy puns already. Wow. <laughs> now more to come. Actually, uh, Phil, I was going to ask you how you were doing because I know, like, a couple of months after I seen you at Planet Comic Con is when you had your mm -hmm. surgery and stuff. Yeah, I had um, I've had two cornea transplants uh, over this last year, which is kind of a scary thing for an artist. Um, oh yeah, I have a genetic thing called Fuchs dystrophy, and it um, it makes little like uh, kind of tiny microscopic blisters in the surface of your eye, and over time they become opaque, and you you it's sort of like a uh, 
it's it's almost like a cataract but on the on the front of your eye and um and really the best course for that is a transplant and so uh over the last over the summer and the fall i i had both eyes got a transplant and it's really been a miracle it's um, that's great like from the day of my surgery um i was working six days later Wow. wow better yeah it was it's really incredible has it affected like your art from before the surgery to now? Do you think? Oh, definitely, it's it's changed um, just like the capacity that I could work. Okay. Like I described, I, like when I was, I mean, I I think I'm, you know, I try the same things. I'm the same artist, but right, right. Um, it's mm-hmm. working's easier. You know, beforehand I didn't know. I thought, oh man, maybe this is just like I'm getting old, running out of steam, whatever. <laughs> you know, I was about to turn fifty and I was like, Oh, maybe I'm just like I don't know. You know, yeah, losing a right. step. And then like after this I was like, Oh yeah, I I was having a hard time working because I was having such a really hard time seeing. Yeah. And um it it's it's a kind of thing that doesn't really it doesn't uh, it's hard to describe. It's like looking through a fish tank, basically, all the time. Right. right. Huh. A dirty fish tank. And uh, now it's gone. And I understand high def now. I understand why that's such a big deal to people. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Now, did it? So, it, and in some ways, it sounds like it probably improved your vision. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Like, I, like I know with a lot of people that have like LASIK surgery or whatever that they 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 don't realize how much better their vision can actually be than it probably had been in a long time. Right. So uh, a fun part of this surgery is that they have to do so much to your eye that while they're in there, if you have even the beginnings of a cataract, they'll take that out as well. And then they will implant a new lens for you too, to help stabilize the transplant. So uh, I had all that done as well. So it's, it's really just like a new set of eyes almost. Yeah. That's awesome. So that means yeah. that the next time I see you, I'm gonna have to get another blank comic commission. Because have <laughs> yeah, a this one and be after. good. Yeah, this one <laughs> might actually be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did tell me that it was that was when you guys were wrapping up Gold Key Alliance. <clears throat> oh right. And uh, about that time, I would say. And mm-hmm. you you did tell me that. It was probably better than anything that Brent Peoples would draw. So, which he's a, <laughs> he's a friend of the show too, or a friend of all of us. So, but you have to take a dig whenever you can at Brent Peoples. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> and now he's coming to the aftershock fold too. Yeah, he's doing. I think he's doing a filling issue of Captain Kid. Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's filling in for uh, for Wilfredo. <laughs> On Captain Kid for an issue, and and my inker on Shipwreck is actually inking that issue too. So, uh-huh. wow, yeah, it's an old home week. Yeah. So now I've heard, I've heard you. Now you do some inking. You don't. You have done some inking in the past yourself, right? Oh yeah, I ink my own work sometimes. Um, and like I ink the covers to Shipwreck, but I don't ink the interiors. Um, yeah. Mostly because I I just don't. Uh, I I'm built for penciling it. And I also, when I have that extra time, I'd rather spend that extra time writing. So it helps speed me up. Yeah. You're, you're one of those sort of 
semi-rare multifaceted comic talents that can write in addition to doing penciling. Um, but do you consider yourself more of a writer or an artist or are you just consider yourself yeah, I don't, a creator? I kind of, I don't really see too much of a difference in those two tasks. I mean, they're oh, yeah. both about, they're all about storytelling and, um, I, I think in pictures, you know, so when I'm writing, I'm, I'm seeing the book in my head too. So it, it's really just like sort of different stations on the same band of a radio, more or less. You know, you just tune into a different station. Right. Um, but it's all it's all about visual storytelling. So I, I don't really – and, you know, all my life since I was a kid when I was making my own comics, I was writing and drawing them. It's just that I think when I broke in, my drawing skills were out ahead of my writing skills. So that's what I got known for first. Okay. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I, I actually prefer writing to drawing and, um, uh, and not just because I, I joke that it's because it's easier, <laughs> but, uh, it is actually a little bit easier. I mean, um, you know, you see, you see people writing seven books a month. You don't see anyone drawing. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, right. so, you know, I, I do. They they both have their own rewards and their own um, problems. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll never. I don't think I'll ever see a time, especially now that my eyes are fixed. I don't think I'll ever see a time where I'm I'm not drawing something. Right. What you you're pretty busy here lately. I mean. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm trying that to you haven't been busy in the past. I'm just saying, like here yeah. you're in the forefront. You've been busy. Like, what this past week you had a backup story. That you penciled yeah. in Mother Panic, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing a backup feature in Mother Panic um, called Gotham Radio. Yeah, and um, that's sort of a this is a big throwback. You got to almost be old to remember this, but <laughs> a throwback to an old book I used to work on called Foot Soldiers, mm -hmm. um, uh, with Jim Kruger as writer and Andy Parks as inker. So it's sort of that old team back together, huh. and. Uh, it's it's a neat little it's kind of a neat way to keep my toe in the DC universe without a huge commitment. You know, right. it's three pages a month, and um, it's in Gotham City, and you know, it's it's fun. And Mother Panic is such a good book. It's it's sort of a it's kind of an honor just to be associated with it. And then um, what else? I'm also uh, I'm I'm penciling Shipwreck as we'll, we'll probably talk about. Right, mm -hmm. and then. I'm I'm also writing a book for Aftershock called Blood Blister right. with art by Tony Harris, which is um, just a straight-up, full-out horror book. First time I've written one of those in a couple of years. Uh -huh. And I am pitching in on the art on um, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love, <laughs> the Dead Man book at DC. Oh, yeah, the That's Dead out. Man book? Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, I am... Um, I kind of help with the storytelling on that book because the art, the artist kind of, kind of painterly, almost like it's kind of like ink wash painting almost. Okay. So it's really time consuming. So they have me come in and, and help out with thumbnails for that artist. Okay. And then, um, I also write a book for Oni that isn't announced yet, but it's kind of a science fiction horror book. Oh, hmm. very cool. So, so speaking of those, uh, uh, um, you, since you already segued into Aftershock a little bit, I'm curious. Well, I'm curious two things. Um, 
maybe briefly how you got started in the comics, which uh, has nothing to do with Aftershock, I'm sure, but then also how you got connected with Aftershock. They're sort of related. I mean, okay. I, I, I started in comics in the late mid to late 80s, which is when like Turtles dropped. Right. And like all of a sudden overnight, everybody that had a credit card became a comic book publisher. <laughs> because, because like you, you could guarantee, like you could put together a book for like 2000 bucks. You can get it printed and it would get, you were guaranteed to make 5,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like even on a tiny print run. <laughs> so everybody, you know, like overnight we went from like four comic book companies, you know, publishers to, like 40 right and uh when i was a sophomore in college i started like i'd always been making like i told you before i'd always been making my own comics right and i'd been submitting them since i was like a senior in high school and then when i was a sophomore um in college i really got serious about submitting to not only marvel and dc but all these new companies that were popping up and the the bar was so low <laughs> that time that like almost anybody could get work and I was wow. lucky to be among them and I started working you know when I was in college and uh, it was like thirty thirty five dollars a page but to me that seemed like you know oh yeah when you're like I seemed like I was rich you know <laughs> right or, well plus of course I didn't I didn't know I'd get stiffed on a lot of those you know <laughs> but uh. And plus, you're getting paid to do what you love to do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was getting paid what I was basically right. in college to to learn to do. I was I was already doing it. Yeah. Um, and part of that part of that whole black and white explosion was Caliber, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the first company I worked for. I sort of it took me a couple of years to land at Caliber, um, but uh, one of the guys on staff at Caliber uh, was Joe Pruitt. And his brother Jim, but Joe, Joe is who I interacted with mainly, and gotcha. um, so I started working for Caliber, and that's how my relationship with Joe began. And yeah. Joe and I've always been trying to work together, like these, you know, like these past, gosh, it's like twenty five, thirty years now. <laughs> and when AfterShock started, he, you know, I was one of the first. Actually, I was involved with um some companies he tried to start that were sort of proto aftershocks i mean there were um a couple of false starts that would have been also as exciting and cool as aftershock but yeah. um he just didn't get the funding and then when aftershock c- kind of all fell into place he was like okay this is it what's really happening let's go yeah what what would you th- in your opinion what do you think sort of sets aftershock apart from other publishers it's creator focused. It's not um, like even um, other indie publishers. I think the only one we're on the same plane with, I guess, is probably Image in terms mm-hmm. of like being creator driven. Um, at right. Marvel and DC, of course, they're driven by their franchises, by their yeah. properties. Um, even Dark Horse, to some extent, is driven by licensed properties. Um, IDW, certainly. I mean, they all—they're all still champions of of creator-owned content, and they're great places to work. But mm-hmm. I think it's it's really almost down to like you know, fanographics, image, and yeah. um, aftershock and Oni for places that are just completely creator-driven. Yeah. Um, right. And 
and the and what sets aftershock apart even from those other places is that um speaking from a freelancer standpoint they have the financial resources to pay you your page rate while you work on your properties which is really (laughs) rare really rare yeah um even at image you're fronting your own labor right so and and you have to have a lot in the can now at image because they don't want to lay books anymore so you have to have like three issues in the can before they'll solicit your book yeah and a lot of people who can't afford to work for free for three months yeah now does that depend on the the who the talent is or is that across the board for everybody it's 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 across the board um but the thing is when you're a big name and a big talent um you've got a little war chest and and you sort of got a a guaranteed sales number so you know image can take that chance and you know it's it's not that big of a risk but if you're a guy like me um you can't exactly afford to not get paid for three months while you're working on a book so that's what yeah that's what sets aftershock apart i think yeah i know as a for me as a fan also it seems like well sort of this it seems like when an aftershock title comes out it's it's they've at least as far as the writers go they've incorporated a lot of big names or people at least that you're familiar with so it's almost guaranteed um when an aftershock title comes out that i I know it's going to be good like when when i see when shipwreck comes out and it has warren ellis and and phil hester right on the cover you're like oh there's no way i'm not gonna pick this up i'm glad Um, to hear that (laughs) yeah that's but yeah that's whereas like image it's you you never know when a new issue comes out uh could be anywhere on the scale right i think that was aftershock's intent was like i think it was a strategy from the beginning at least a lot of discussions i had with joe reflected this that at least one name in the creative in the creative team had to be sort of an a-lister right you know yeah and and we are sort of in the writer driven era of comics we have been sort of since i think since bendis really blew up at marvel we've we've been in the writer era right yeah and um so usually the writers are the the a-lister and that's I guess that's why Blood Blister is a new thing for them because in that case the artist is going to be the A-lister and, and uh, I yeah. will be tagged. <laughs> so uh, um, since Martin could join us, he's got a couple of questions. So I suppose I'll ask at least one of his questions. Okay. But, but, since, you, but, but since you brought up Blood Blister, his question pertains to that and like what was the inspiration behind blood blister and how did you pitch the idea to joe and the people at aftershock yeah it's it's actually one of the first books they approved um it's just taking it took a lot longer to come out because we kind of needed the right artist for the project okay and um it took a while for you know, for Tony to come free and for Tony to sh- express interest and, and sort of make it all happen. So, but once Tony came on board, it was like full speed ahead for Aftershock. Okay, cool. Uh, I guess it's inspired by like, um, uh, man, I don't want to get this all about my health, but uh, you know, I was, <laughs> <laughs> if, I used to be like uh, pretty obese mm-hmm. and I got very sick uh, like a year and a half ago. And I, I lost a little over a hundred pounds since then in order to get, to get well. 
but that whole time I was sick, I was really, I was kind of almost obsessing on the way our bodies can fail us, right? You know, mm-hmm. in a larger sense, like, and ultimately our bodies will fail all of us, right? So I, I began to get like intrigued by this idea of like um, somebody that had this wound that would never heal, and how that he became obsessed with it, and then almost his obsession with that wound became as bad as the wound itself or worse. And it started to reflect like an inner corruption that he had in his soul. Wow. And it became an idea about, about possession, like almost like a demonic possession, but one that's self-inflicted, you know, like every time you see like, you know, possession movies now, it's some like poor innocent that gets right. Right. You know, possessed by some evil spirit. And I was like, well, what if a guy, is so is so evil and buries it and internalizes it so much that it sort of gestates within him and he sort of gives birth to the his own demon that possesses him. Wow. And that's, that's a, what that's what blood blisters all about. Like That's intense. Yeah, so like the 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 evil that possesses him is him. Yeah. But it, but in a way it manif- it manifests itself in a physical way and that gives him like um, at least a chance to try to free himself from it. So uh, that's what this, the book's all about. Like a, a person who is, who is, um, I listen to a lot of nutty late night radio shows, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to like UFOs, Bigfoot, all that garbage. Right. And I heard an interview with, um, with an exorcist, like kind of a crazy renegade exorcist, like 20 years ago. Or so, and he said, um, if anyone is perfectly possessed, they don't know it. You know? <laughs> True. <laughs> so, so this guy, so the idea that this guy is like he's evil and doesn't know it, and he gets a little, he gets a little bit of a wake up call, and so he's got to fight to extricate himself from that. Oh, wow. And he's haunted by all these images. He's he's kind of a, um, he's kind of a shady lawyer, almost like um, more of a fixer even than a lawyer. Okay. Kind of like um, yeah. Ray Donovan or Michael Clayton or right. Well, I, or, I seen Saul, Saul Goodman, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, That's like, what I was gonna say. I seen some of the taglines say that it was like a mix between The Exorcist and Better Call Saul. So. Yeah, my that's what my <laughs> editor called it. He was like, "Well, yeah. he goes, it's it's Better Call Saul and Exorcist." <laughs> um, but like, wow. uh, it's it's this guy who's like morally compromised and it, and he's haunted by these. I mean, the main evil thing he does is he gets corporations out of paying damages to um, people they've injured or killed with with um, environmental accidents or pollution. Huh. So he wow. gets he tries to wriggle he get, tries to wriggle his clients out of paying those damages. Wow! And so he's haunted by the images of the people who have suffered from that. And Interesting. Um, so it's somewhat relevant oh, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a nice. You know, if you if you've read my past stuff and you're like if you're a fan of like The Coffin or Deep Sleeper or My Run on the Darkness, it's very much in in the vein of those. Great. Yeah, I'm I'm sold now. Yeah. I'm ready to read it. <laughs> and it doesn't come out till what, January, right? January. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's wow, too long. That's a, yeah, it's a long wait. <laughs> no, it's a good, it's it's like the scariest thing I've ever written. I know that. Like it's I think it's the scariest thing I've ever written. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of scary imagery and a lot of kind of, I try to always go a little bit even deeper on horror than just scares. I try to do a little bit of existential horror in there and it's, it's kind of 
a good combination of both. Yeah. Are you a big horror fan in general, or do you just no like it? <laughs> no, not really. Like, I well, if it's it's got to be really good. So like you know, I hate like slasher films and stuff like that. Yeah. But the the absolute best horror films are really great. But I guess it's like everything. You know, most of it's not good, but right. the ones that are are really great. So I guess I I should say I'm a horror fan. I'm just not a fan of like kind of modern dumb right. um, slasher. Yeah. You know, right. I've t- we've That's- talked about that before on here because I, I'm sort of I'm sort of like that where I I I don't like horror unless it goes deeper than just the right just than being scary. I need something right. to gauge me mentally and and. To go a little bit deeper than just that. If it's just scary for the sake of being scary, it doesn't usually. Yeah, like, like revulsion is not enough. There's got to be like something like, I've had people ask me what my favorite horror movie is before, and my answer always surprises them. But I will say 2001. Um, I the I think the interactions with Hal is is the scariest thing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like Hal becoming sentient, Mm -hmm. and then his first sensation on being sentient is fear. That's scary as hell to me. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I got, so, go ahead, Ronnie. Um, I was going to, since we talked about it a little bit, I was going to ask a, a reader question or a listener question sure. um, from Chad Nelson, which you already talked about you and Joe working on the nameless from caliber. Is there any plans of you guys collaborating together again in Aftershock? Uh, there's always a chance. I mean, we t- we talk about it all the time. Um, but the problem is, we both wanted like we both want to write our own comics. So right, right, right. <laughs> he's like, um, he's, and <laughs> to be honest, like he's not everything. I try to be very honest with myself about like. When I'm writing something, mm-hmm. I try to say, am I the right artist for this? And very rarely am I. Like, when I come up with an idea, okay. um, there's always somebody else out there I think that could do it better. Um, there's only a few ideas I've ever had that I think, oh, I, I should be drawing this as well. well and okay. I'm, I think the same way with Joe. Like, Joe just doesn't cook up an idea and go, oh, Phil's right. You know, he's, I've got to – like, I wouldn't be right for Black Eyed Kids. You know, right, right. I need more fantastical elements in my stuff, so um, it's like, got to be the right kind of... Like how you're perfect yeah. for a shipwreck? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but like when it first got announced over the summer, it was like, ah, uh, because, you know, Warren's writing style and then your art style is just like, it's like a happy marriage almost. Yeah, it's been really fun, uh, and there's a lot of, um, and he's really good at understanding when to let uh, the art take over a story and pull it along. Okay. Um, it took me a while. I I was drawing like, gosh, there are long stretches of that book with no dialogue and no captions. Right. Yeah. At all. Right. Right. Uh, almost in every issue, there's like a four four to six page sequence with no dialogue, and yeah. um, that's sort of where I got up pull the weight but he's good at understanding that comics are a lot of writers especially writers who write prose as well like warren does Mm -hmm. um don't know when to back off and let the pictures take over but warren of course is 
is like a master, so he does know when to do that, and it's it's been fun to work on it. Yeah. That was one of the things that hooked me from even when I saw the previews of the uh, of the first issue before I'd even read it um, mm-hmm. was that even the preview was mostly art and you could you could follow it and it was telling a story and bringing right. up questions in my head uh, without even reading a word. Right. You know that's must not be easy to do because not many people seem to attempt it. Well, it's um, yeah. I think it, you got to have two people that know what they're doing to pull that yeah. off, and regardless of, of of whether or not you enjoy my style, I, at least I've been doing this long enough to know what I'm doing. So yeah. right. we both we've been around the block a few times. And right. Was, I think that was one of the things when we reviewed it on here or talked about the first issue, anyways. That we mm-hmm. that we enjoyed the. I don't know if the most, if we enjoyed the most about it, but, you know, where Warren set the table, basically, and you just cleaned it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, with the the spiders. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which... Yeah, that, he's always got some... Oh, he's always <laughs> throws in some creepy thing in every issue that uh, <laughs> I've never drawn before. You know, like, I've been like, I haven't drawn too many scrotums before but i'm getting my fill in this you know in right. this comic right uh, I've, i think I'm, I'm on you know in three issues i've drawn three different desecrated corpses uh-huh. so yeah it's, yeah it's run and roll yeah now do, do you prefer uh speaking of warren ellis now do you prefer working with people like him with more experience or do you like oh, uh you know i have no preference i like no. um, I'm excited by um, every time I see new talent. That's exciting to me too. And I, I feel every time I meet a talented young artist or writer, I I kind of like am mad that I'm not going to be immortal. That I can work with all these people that I want to work with. Right. You know, yeah. it's it's, um, it's almost frustrating. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I love because like each time you work with somebody new, it's a different it's a completely different experience, you know, about what they bring to the table and how you adjust to that. And mm-hmm. you bring up, you know, you bring out different skills in each other as you collaborate. Right. Is there, yeah, it looks like, it looks like shipwreck. Um, I was just looking at the sales for October and it looks like it was their top selling title in October in the yeah. top 200, which isn't always easy for smaller publishers. So yeah, it's tough for you guys publishers. be really help, helpful or happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think Aftershock's really happy. I think they're. It is tough for the a small publisher to make a dent because a lot of that. Of a, a thing that's changed about the comic marketplace that not a lot of people understand is that, um, the big two have decided, or have found a way to make it profitable to kind of dip down and make money in places they wouldn't before. Right. Right. So like. Like be, before, if they had a title that sold under thirty thousand, they were like, "Forget it, we're out." Right. You know, they'd bail out. But production costs are, are smaller now, and companies are more nimble now. So Marvel and DC can make money on books that sell between ten and twenty thousand. Um, and so that's their that's territory they sort of invaded now that they didn't used to. Right. And that space that was previously occupied by dark horses and and IDWs and there's those companies are still there. Um, but it's just saying that's a crowded playing field now where it used to sort of be right. Sort of be wide open. Right. And right. it's not anymore. 
so yeah, I think they're happy to to get you know get something with a little bit higher profile out there, and and I think the only way you can really get retailers to, I guess there's two ways to get retailers to pay attention, and one of them is to like show that you're going to be in it for the long haul, that mm-hmm. you're going to be around, mm-hmm. and I think that's what AfterShock's doing. Um, they've got deep enough pockets to stick in there and and show retailers that they're going to be providing quality content for a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, the other, the other way you can do it is to burn them, <laughs> you know, like put out a book that they weren't ready for and that blows uh-huh. up yeah, and gotcha. then they, they right. want to get like, you want to walking dead them, you know, you want to saga them. Right. Yeah. Know, so they're, you know, so then they're looking for the next equivalent right. of that. Right. And that's why image is, I think that's why the image boom is, is still ongoing because the majority of those kind of books come from image and, um, I think Aftershock has to build that reputation as well, that they're doing books that are on a par with the best of Image, too. Right. Yeah. And, like, Animosity was, like, the first one from Aftershock that yeah. sold out and did a second printing on the first day or on the same yeah. release day. So, right. I mean, you know, they're on the bubble. Yeah, I, w- uh, I will let you in on a secret, though. Every book that's sold in the direct market is a sellout. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, you right. know they they, yeah. they make what they they make what uh, uh, what what a true sellout is when it sells out at the distributor level like Animosity did right right, right. like uh, retailers wanted more and there weren't more right gotcha uh, which is which is the difference there so like a lot of times you'll see press releases about books selling out and it, it technically everything sells out right yeah it's yeah. just that whether or not it's sold out at the distributor level right. is what makes it a real runaway hit. Huh. Well, um, let's see. We'll do another listener question, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, having done work with both of the big two, mm-hmm. which you have some pretty great runs, by the way, looking back, is there anything that you might have changed or tweaked knowing now what you didn't know then? And that's from Amy Wilson. Oh yeah, certainly a lot of, I mean, I think I would have, um, I had a run on Swamp Thing when I was in my mid twenties. Um, and I was just so happy to be there, um, that, uh, I didn't say any, say a lot. I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be working with these art, these writers. And I just want to, you know, cause Swamp Thing was one of my favorite characters for a long time. And so I just, you know, wrote it out. Um, but I should have been more assertive in the way that, you know, the final product of that book looked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, Kim DeMolder was the inker and he's a great inker. Uh, he knows more than you know, I ever will about comics. But he was sort of on this, he was sort of on orders to make it look like John Tottleman had never left the comic. And so it was, it was inked in a very kind of, um, very textural kind of filigree kind of way. And that's, to- and if you know my artwork, it's complete opposite of that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I wish I, yeah. I wish I'd stood up for myself a little more, you know, <laughs> right. And said, you know, and now I want this to be high contrast the way my pencils are. Right. Uh, and, and by and large in general, I wish I'd stood up for myself more all throughout my career. Cause huh. I'm from, um, I'm from the Midwest right. and we sort of have this like, um, kind of Minnesota nice, yeah. Iowa nice, yeah. you know, yeah. like yeah. We don't, you know, 
we don't like to toot our own horns, even when we probably should be. Yep. Uh, and I feel like I feel like if I stepped on the gas a little bit more, I could have been writing a lot earlier than I was. I could have right. been demanding it and, and, and trying to get it a little bit more than I was. So if you had that and, East Coast pushy attitude. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's I, like, I, I can say that too because I'm from Missouri, so I know exactly what you're talking right. about. So. Right. Because like, I didn't realize that like, um, I was like, oh man, I don't want to – do you guys cuss on this podcast? We can. Yeah, I mean – Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So like, I didn't seem like I don't want to seem like an asshole, you know. But what I didn't realize is that, like editors deal with assholes every day, right, like right. so much so that they don't even notice. Yeah, and, right. And they they might misinterpret politeness or meekness or not or humbleness as um, disinterest. Right. Yeah, right. interesting. So, and that's something I had to work to overcome. Yeah, your clash of worlds, I guess. Yeah. That's a different world. Michael Sparkman asked a question that is sort of the opposite of that. <laughs> um, not what you would change, but he asked, what's the favorite thing that you actually ever worked on? Um, that's tough for me to answer because uh, I don't, I am not a big fan of my own work. So it's, um, and it's not a false modesty. It's like a, if, if you, have been doing this as long as I have, and you have a clear lie, you understand your failings better than anybody else on earth. Right. And so I know, I know what's wrong with my work. Um, so I like to think every new thing I'm doing is the best thing I've drawn. Yeah. Um, so like right now, I think it's probably shipwreck because that's what I'm doing right now. Right. Um, and I'd like to think blood blister is the best thing I've written. I'm, I don't know if people will agree with that. I think, if you ask me to pick out a favorite of my past work, um, I would probably say um, I did an I did an issue of um, Legends of the Dark Knight mm-hmm. um, with Josh Fialkov that I'm really happy with that I drew, and then I, as a writer, I um, I wrote a graphic novel called Deep Sleeper. Uh, so Martin has a question again, and. I need Wait, to. If, Mark, if he's not on here, isn't he like limited in how many questions we're going to take from him? Yeah, really. I know. And, and he should be punished somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of exactly. it's kind of funny because he, he's a huge fan of yours as well. Uh-huh. So when he texted us this morning and said that he got called in and and he couldn't to work and he couldn't make it, mm-hmm. it's almost like I was reveling <laughs> in his misfortunes. Yes, as the way only a good friend can. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Well, he's called. He would do the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of us would. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, like I think you touched on this earlier. But mm-hmm. sh- with shipwreck and blood blister, how is it different than your previous stuff that you've done? Um, I think with um, with shipwreck, it's pretty easy. Like I can cut loose. Like I always felt like there's this tension in my work between trying to do mainstream stuff and then trying to do my indie stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm, everything I do is sort of a compromise uh, uh, between those two styles. Okay. And Shipwreck is not. Shipwreck is just me doing, like, trusting my instincts and just doing what I want to do and just cutting loose and um, doing what feels like a very natural style to me. So it's, in some ways, it's the most natural of any book i've drawn to date okay so that's not a problem and 
Blood blister, blood blister is different in that um, everything I've written except my run in the darkness is something I've well shoot even on the darkness I had an end in mind you know I I pitched it as a three issue arc with a definite ending um, and then when I wrote Wonder Woman I had an ending you know so like um, you know I write endings mm-hmm. and uh Blood Blister is the only thing that I have. I don't have a definite ending on because it's an ongoing. So, um, you know, I have places I can end it, right. and uh, places that are, seem like natural stopping points. But I don't have an overall arc um, hmm. totally mapped out the way I do on everything else I write. Yeah, it's cool. So now I get the fanboy out for a second, but sure. Um, <laughs> You and Robert Kirkman had your run on Ant-Man. Yes. And you did get screen credit for the yeah. Ant- in the Ant-Man movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and which is understandable since it was kind of like your guys' arc type thing. I don't know, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the high Yeah, I know what you're saying. And then yeah. your agent Carson, is it the same Yes. same one yeah. that you guys had? Okay. Yeah, I mean, although he he bears no resemblance to him at all, right, right. But he's called Agent Carson, right. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story about it. Um, Marvel called to say, "Hey, um, a character, uh, we're so happy to have Agent Carson in the Ant Man movie that, you know, like we want to send you kind of like a little thank you, a, a little bit of money, as you know, like because they don't owe me anything because it was all work for hire." Um, but they were like, we still want to like send you a token of appreciation for Agent Carson being in the Ant-Man movie. And I was like, oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And then like, I got on the phone with Robert, and I'm like, who's Agent Carson? <laughs> what are they talking about? And he's like, dude, I don't know. What do you mean? And I go, they said something about a- Agent Carson being in the Ant-Man movie. And so like, we were stumped for like an hour. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, hey, it might be, it was it the dude who got his face burned off? It's like, yeah, <laughs> so it took funny. us a while to remember exactly who, but I th- I feel like that book was ahead of its time. I, th- I feel like if that book were coming out now, it would be more of a hit. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, Cause it, it's, it sort of was the, the predecessor of like sort of the Deadpool squirrel girl right. kind of wave of kind of oddball mm-hmm. books. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. But on the flip side, thanks. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat for a second. Sure. Because the, your Ant-Man credit was, well, I noticed it. Let's put it that way. So I'm sure a lot of your other fans noticed it as well, that you got credit in the movie. But then you had Suicide Squad, who actually used the creation, um, one of your incarnations, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So which one, like for you personally, was more excited about? Um, not not saying one movie's better than the other or DC you want me to tell Marvel, you but yeah um I think like the El Diablo character it, like has more of a direct bearing on the character Jai and I created right um so it it seems I mean he's been changed a lot from what we did right but um I think that Chato Santana character is, is like the closest to a depiction of a you know like my actual work. Right. Um, the, the Ant-Man thing was like more in spirit. You know, they were like, well, 
Agent Carson's in it. Right. And the bad guy has a has a lot of the gadgets that you invented for your Ant Man, you know, and stuff like that. So we want to give you some credit. And I was like, okay. Um, but on the on the El Diablo thing, it's actually a character that, and I can't say we created him because he's a version of an existing character. Right. Like he's a he's a revamp of the old western superhero right, El Diablo. Right, right. right. Um, large, I mean, completely turned on its head, but it's still a version. <laughs> it's sort of like um, it's sort of like when Kevin Smith and I created, oh, not Kevin, um, when Judd Winnick and I created Speedy. Right. Out of near Dearden, which was a Kevin Smith creation, um, there was already a Speedy. Right. Like it was just a different version of Speedy. So technically, we didn't create a new character. Right. Yeah. Like your guys's El Diablo was the third incarnation yeah. of it, I think, of him. Right. Yeah. There was the Mike Parabek. Right. Yeah. So there's been a lot of versions, and um, but you know DC's been cool about it, and um. We get compensated when that character appears, you know, outside of the comics, and that's strictly oh. just them being cool about it because they don't owe us anything. There's no, Royalty like I said, that was yeah. yeah. Huh. So what we what we get from them, they call a discretionary performance bonus. Okay. Um, and um, it's just their way of showing appreciation. Very cool. Now, do do you read uh, comics outside of your own work? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I have a pull box, and it's like I'm like two long boxes behind. <laughs> oh yeah. So you're I'm like my regular this. week then. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like I uh, like I wind up reading series after they're over, kind of like. Yeah. You know, I I like when it, like I didn't read why the last man till it was over. Right. I I owned them all, but I didn't read them yeah. till it's done. You know, and the, I'm that way with a lot of a lot of books. I'm what just, are some of your favorite current titles? Um, I'm a big Mark for Saga. Um, I really re- my absolute favorite though is Southern Bastards. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I just I just saw uh, Jason Latour last weekend at yeah, it's uh, one of the few North Carolina Comic Con. Yeah, it's like one of the few times where like. Um, not to say that Jason's other collaborators haven't been excellent. They have. But it's one of the few times where I feel like, if anything, Latour is, like, is dragging Aaron along a little bit, you know? Like, yeah. Latour's work is at such another level that, like, they're they're equal stars, right. you know, on the page, which is pretty remarkable for Jason Aaron book. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like they're battling or competing against each other. They almost. the same book, but, you know? Yeah, I almost, I just kind of, I follow creators more than anything else. So yeah. I don't really have favorite characters or anything, but I'll follow, like, I'll buy anything John Romita Jr. does, you know, or I'll buy, uh, you know, anything, um, you know, Daniel Warren Johnson draws or whatever. You know, I'll just, right. I'm, I jump around and I follow mm-hmm. creators more than characters or even books. So what's your opinion? Because we talk, I've talked about this a lot with, with fans, and, um, and I guess since it's, this isn't an image podcast, so I don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sometimes critical of them because their release schedules are like kind of all over the place. And yeah. Southern, Baptist, Southern Bastards is a great example because it's, a, it's an awesome title, but like you never get to read it. Uh, what's, your, <laughs> what's your opinion about that? Is it just sort of a... Yeah. 
they're sort of at the mercy uncontrollable of thing or well they're the, they're at the mercy of their creators i mean it's a like i said it's a creator driven thing yeah and there's there's this kind of weird trap that in order for your edge book to really sell well you have to be known by the mainstream audience um so you like if you look at all the big all the really huge image writers they either have big Marvel or DC books or had big Marvel and DC books at one point. Right. And so you, so those people, their time is divided a lot, you know? So like, yeah. you know, Brubaker can't make sleeper. He's working on Westworld, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Jason Aaron can't just make the goddamn cause he's writing Dr. Strange. Right. Uh, and so on and so forth. So it, it's, they're they're really at the mercy of their creators, and it's yeah. um, it's because there's like there is no editorial infrastructure at Image. Um, if you have an editor on your book, it's because you hired a freelance to to jump in and help you. Wow! So there's there's a there's a communication breakdown between editorial and scheduling and production and all that, and it's not like a it's not a failure of the system. It's that there is no system. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there. At the mercy of other things yeah. going on, and you're not. It's not any. It's not like nobody's screwing up. It's just that um, at Marvel and DC, those people all work in the same building, mm-hmm. and if if an editor knows like a book's coming in hot, they can go to production and say, "Hey, be ready because this book's coming in hot." Um, and at Image, that that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. just because the inf- there's no infrastructure right. for that. Cool. Cool. I think. Uh, say what else you got, Ronnie? Uh, really, that's about all I had, really. Um, unless, like, Gold Key Alliance part. Yeah. Yeah. Since we didn't touch on that very much, but like, sure. Um, I talked to you about it in Kansas City. But, yeah. Um. Is that was that like a passion project that you wanted to do, like? For the oh yeah for the character they asked me yeah they asked me to do it um, but it, it's definitely something I wanted to do um, mostly because I I really love Magnus Robot Fighter right and um, but as I started working on it I found myself really loving all those characters uh-huh. and um, it's kind of a weird project for me because I pitched that as like a line not as a miniseries okay. Like I pitched that as like um, a revamp for um, four different books. Okay. So I pitched a I pitched that as a Doctor Solar book, a Magnus book, a Turok book, and um, a Samson book. And they were like, "Hey, these are great ideas. We like them. We want you to do them all in one book, and it's a miniseries." Yeah. You know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so wow. I had to compress like all the bigger ideas I had for those books down into uh, a mini, which was kind of a shame because like, I felt like the, the world I established, especially for Turok was like something new and yes. Yes. And, and made sense, you know, like it, it, I think the failing of all previous incarnations of those gold key characters is that they all take place on like what are basically else worlds, mm-hmm. you know? And I think writer, I, I think readers kind of feel like, oh, well, this doesn't count. It's not real. Um, and I thought, well, if they all took place on our Earth right now, they'd have more resonance. And 
you know, robotics and artificial intelligence are are increasing at such a rapid pace that the idea that Magnus could exist now and be fighting robots makes sense. Right, right. Um, or the idea that, like, uh, there's a Jurassic Park kind of place where Turok's in charge, mm-hmm. run by his tribe. That makes sense, right. you know. Um, and Samson. So, yeah, Samson is a little bit different, um, but I made it work. Like, it's supposed to take place in the future, but instead I changed it so that he's the product of a project that is preparing for an apocalyptic future. Right, right. Well, I just meant, so, like, like, your take on it to where, like, t- to everybody else he seemed crazy for the business yeah. that he had. Right. And, but he saw the world that's coming, the right. world that he was trained the world he was trained for. Right, right. Um, so to me that the advantage of that pitch was that it was all taking place now. And the owners of the owners of the property liked that. But they said, Hey, but make sure at the end it goes back. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Make sure at the end it goes back to the old. And so that's why we had that big conflict at the end where, you know, Soul, I don't have to spoiler, I guess, but where Solar had to sort of reach forward and backward through time and kill himself, like right. all versions of himself, right? To like set the timeline. And, um, it actually that's why the last issue is called Adam Valley 1962 because that's when Dr. Solar got his powers, right? And the reset was to go back and make sure he never got his powers. Um, so, so technically. It's back to the gold key universe as it exists in stasis forever, probably. Right. <laughs> Is that, or until Valiant scrapes enough money together to buy it. Right. Uh, Mag- uh, Magnus is back to wearing the skirt and not right, like, yeah, not like combat Teflar type stuff. Yeah. Everything's 1962 again. Right. So, yeah. And I'm sure there's only a matter of time before I think Valiant. I think Valiant really wants those properties, but they're expensive as hell. Really? And I think Dynamite outbid them is the only reason that Dynamite has it. Hmm. But now Valiant's got that um, Chinese movie money, so... Yeah, that's true. We we actually have a lot of, quite a few uh, Valiant fans that listen to this podcast also, so they're probably interested to hear about that. Yeah, yeah so I don't know. Maybe they'll wind up with it at, at some point. I know they feel like... Um, and I agree with them. They, I think they feel like they have enough going um, with their current books and their current properties. Sure. So, yeah. You know, they're pretty. I think they're one of the smartest companies out there. They. Oh they, yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys are baseball fans, but uh, you yeah. know the concept of money, the concept of Moneyball. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, I think Valiant's the the Oakland A's of 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 the comics companies. Right. They go out and get. Interesting. They go out and get undervalued talent, and they they utilize them. Yeah, is that uh, is that the opinion? Does that seem like to be a common opinion throughout the industry, or just yeah? Every time I mention it to to the ten percent of comic book creators that actually know baseball, they all nod. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Matt Kent's a big Cardinal fan, like I am. So that's true. That's true. Well, you can be forgiven. (laughs) Not too late. But yeah, that's well. I'm glad that you said that because that was the comic cover sketch that you did for me was was Bloodshot in Kansas. Oh right, yeah. So really, yeah. I I need to see that. And, and that was just because, for me, I mean, like I could have had you draw Ant Man or Green right. Arrow or the Titans even or whatever. You know what I mean? But right, yeah. 
I just thought it would be different for different for you, different no, I like for me it. too. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like it when people come up and and ask me to do something that normally is out of my wheelhouse. Right now, how does that? Uh, we're we're really going off script here. <laughs> Maybe you could take this out. But how does that work? Because I've only asked people to 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 do sketches of stuff they're familiar with. But if it's not a character, like, did you give him a picture of Bloodshot, or did you just already know Bloodshot? It was a blank Bloodshot? comic cover. Yeah, right. sometimes you, how did you like know if they don't know, they'll ask for reference. But everyone can look on their phone nowadays. But right. um, uh, usually, the real sketch mavens will bring like a, a reference package with them. Gotcha. But. But you yeah, already I, knew who I, Bloodshot just was, asked, anyways, right? Say, are you? What's that? When, when I asked you to do Bloodshot, you already knew Bloodshot. Who Bloodshot yeah, I knew. was, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's um, it's just a matter of asking them if they're cool with that. You know, just say, like, are you up for drawing this character? You know, yeah. right. they'll say yes or no, and if they don't want to, they'll, you know, there's no harm done. Right. If they don't, if they don't want to sketch, they shouldn't. I mean, if they don't want to sign stuff or sketch for you, I don't know why they're sitting behind the table. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah. if you ever want, if you need to follow up or anything, let me know. And um, uh, I guess that's it. Yeah, sounds good. I we appreciate you, you want coming to talk, on. Yeah, that was my pleasure. And anytime you want to talk in the future, just drop me a line. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. sounds good. Thanks for taking some time out right. for us. Yeah, no problem. Good luck with the podcast. Anyways, thanks everybody for listening to this episode episode 16 of aftershock central podcast and big thanks to phil hester for uh joining in i think that went really well a big thanks uh, for martin for not joining in yeah because then it would not have gone really well <laughs> you're the 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 mastermind behind remembering twitter handles so where do they reach us at i am at ron bar 316 you are at jack sutherland yep phil is actually at phil hester and easy. yeah, easy. And Martin is at Geekvine. If you want to tweet at him and make fun of him for not being here, like yep. we do, and then you can tweet the show at Aftershock Pod. Watch out for Blood Blister that comes out in January, and Shipwrecked is out now. Anything else you want to plug, Jack? Nope, that's it. All right. Ciao.